almost this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Join me in the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. Yeah, certainly am, Rob. Yeah, we've got plenty going on, haven't we, with a football season returning and what have you. So, uh, yeah, going to be an action-packed show, no doubt. Yeah. So, we'll start with the football and Manchester City. They started their Premier League campaign away at Burnley on Friday night and won 3-0. Great result for Pep Guardiola's men. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, it was a potential banana skin, that for City, you know, with Burnley being newly promoted to the Premier League. And, you know, they've come back with quite a bit of momentum as well under Vincent Company. But City, I thought, were... uh, were good. They looked. They looked good, didn't they? And uh, scored some fantastic goals. I think Haaland looked really sharp. Um, the finishing was great, and uh, and it was yeah the the best possible start for City really. And uh, you know Burnley, Burnley looked at a handful at times. They looked at a decent side for me. Played some good football, and I think they'll they'll, they'll be okay this season. But City have just showed that the they're, they're a good side, and I think if anybody wants to win that league this season, they're probably going to finish above City because they they do look like they they mean business. Yeah. Obviously, Manchester City, uh, the pace setters in the Premier League after last year's treble, it was sort of imperative. They did start well in the Premier League. They've got a couple of fixtures come up this weekend with the Super Cup. You know, so this early in the season, games coming thick and fast. Pep Guardiola's men need to manage the players' time on the field. Yeah, they certainly do. They certainly do. And I think, I think Pep said something in the press last week about, you know, last season was a was probably a once-in-a-lifetime season, really, and it'd be very, very hard to, to replicate. And whether that's just taking a bit of pressure off himself and the players, I'm not sure. But I think in a cold light of day, he's probably right. It'd be difficult to to win four trophies and you know and be, do a, a clean sweep of everything. So, and, and you've got other things this season with the Super Cup as well. And, you know, the European camp, campaign will be tough. So, yeah, he's got to manage his squad, hasn't he? But he's got a very healthy squad there and a big squad. And they've got talent throughout there, haven't they? So, uh, you know, teams are going to be gunning for him this season. But, you know, City are going to be up there. There's no doubt about that. And they look very, very impressive. And, you know, Haaland, his, his goals were, were fantastic finishes, weren't they? And, and I think he prides himself as well, Haaland. He looked really... Um, Annoyed at half time, I saw his little chat with Pep at half time, and it just shows you that the, the pair of them are uh, perfectionists, really, aren't they? You know, they're winning comfortably at Burnley, but they still want more, don't they? Is that a good sign, though? Obviously, with your coach and your star centre forward, it seemed like at each other's throats about uh, sort of something that's happened. You know, obviously, everyone's a winner, aren't they, in that team? You know, they want the best, um, but does that send the right message out to? fellow players and even the people watching that all is well yeah I think all is well I think what that was I think Harlem was probably complaining about something there you know they what I think he always wants more doesn't he mm. and I think Pep always wants more and from what I gathered from that I think Pep was trying to, trying to calm him down a bit really wasn't he and uh so no, I think I think they just want the, the best out of each other I think the Pep Guardiola is one of them people who who'd probably moan if you won the lottery wouldn't it because not moan but but always want more and, and he's a winner and I think that's what makes him such a good manager and such a good coach because he doesn't settle for second best does he you know he wants if he won 5-0 he'd probably find fault with it and want you to win 6-0 so there's nothing wrong with that in sport but uh, but no it was quite a, quite a funny situation that on camera he sort of pushed the camera away didn't he because I don't think he wanted to hear what he was saying to, to, to Erling Haaland but, but no I, I think um, he's got a good relationship with his players 
Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne went off injured again. Obviously, top player in the Premier League, top talent, top assister. But last couple of, let's say, six months, um, he limped out of the European Cup final. He limped out of, uh, I think it was a World Cup as well. Um, is he is he reaching the peak of his physical uh, prowess at Manchester City? Um, you'd probably say he's on a bit of a downward spiral, really, mm. wouldn't you, with, with the way he's, he's going? You know, is he carrying an injury there, and is he is he rushing his way back? Uh, you know, does he need a bit of time out? Does he need an operation? I'm not so sure, but th- there's something amiss there because his body at the moment is is letting him down, isn't it? You know, in in big big games there, they don't seem to be getting the best out of him. He does seem quite fragile at the moment, so I think it could be one where they need to to get to the bottom of that injury and just you know. Just see if there is an underlying problem with him. Yeah, because obviously you need your best players to perform week in, week out, don't you, Paul? And if if they are struggling with injuries, especially the size of City's squad, you think they'd be able to manage that situation? Yeah, definitely. You know, De Bruyne is a quality player, isn't he? One of the best players in the world in his position. But So you'd want him in your team, wouldn't you? But if he's not 100% and he's not right... You know, City have got players there who, who can step in, haven't they? They've got a really good squad. So, you know, it'd be a concern for Pep with someone like De Bruyne out. But uh, I think he's got more than enough to, to cover positions and things. But, you know, sometimes it's better to, to have a bit of time out and get somebody right rather than, you know, keep trying them and bringing them off again. And, you know, that could make injuries worse sometimes. So there's obviously a problem with De Bruyne because you've just mentioned the, the last few games he's been in there in big, you know, tournaments as well. There's been an underlying problem where he's where he's come off and he's not looked right at all, has he not looked himself? So yeah, I think I think Pep needs to, to manage that situation. Yeah. Let's look at the rest of the Premier League. Arsenal started their Premier League season at home uh, with a victory against Nottingham Forest. Uh, Daniel Arteta's uh, men uh, starting that Premier League roller coaster again after last season's uh, sort of dip in form towards the back end, cost them the title. Um, Notts Forest have sort of brought a few players in, haven't they? Over this season, last season, got to bed them in, but. They did have Arsenal on the run at one point, uh, but Arsenal showed the class in the end. Yeah, but if you look at the game, probably not as impressive as City's win, was it? Mm. Um, but no, a good start. You know, it's good to get a win on the first game of the season, but Nottingham Forest, you know, struggled at times last year, but I think they've had quite a big turnover of players this this time, haven't they? And they're expected to do a little bit better. So so from what I saw of that game, they, they looked a better side, really, and like they, you know, they couldn't, they could, uh, you know, Make a mark on this season, maybe not, you know, in the top half of the table, but be a bit more clear that relegation zone. But Arsenal will be, I think they'll be, they'll be pleased to get three points, won't they, on the, the start of the season? Yeah, Bayou Saka on the score sheet as well. Uh, you know, a great uh, forward, twenty-one year old. You know, part pivotal part of that England team. Uh, hopefully, he will continue to find form uh, with the tough fixtures for England and Arsenal coming up. Yeah, well, you need players like that in your team, don't you? And it's going to be a long season for, for Arsenal, but you'd, you'd probably say that they're one of the teams that are fancied to challenge Manchester City for that title, along with one or two others. But uh, it is a long, hard season. But they've got some good talent in the Arsenal team, there's no doubt about that. Um, for them, it's consistency, isn't it, really? And, you know, getting the results week in, week out. Yep. AFC Bournemouth drew with West Ham 1-1. Obviously, West Ham looking to strengthen with a possible arrival of Manchester United centre-half Harry Maguire there. 1-1 
draw away at Bournemouth isn't the end of the world for the Amers after last season's heroics in Europe? No, decent start. I mean, Bournemouth aren't a bad side. I mean, you tend to get, you know, in different scores and in, in round one, don't you? Teams are up for it and, you know, it's not all plain sailing in the first game of the season. So, away from home, a point. I think um, it's a good solid start, isn't it, for, for West Ham? Um, I'm not sure whether Bournemouth are one of the favourites for relegation this time. We struggled a bit last year, didn't they? But you know, I think David Moyes will be pleased to to get you know to get his side up and running after uh, after what was a successful season for them last year. Yeah, and obviously with the arrival shortly of James Ward-Prowse and Hammer Aguirre will strengthen that West Ham team. Always kind of hanging around mid-table, but I'm sure. Uh, Harry uh, will be looking to to raise that West Ham team. Uh, David Moyes, experienced coach, he'll know what it takes to reach at the top level. I'm sure he's hoping to do that with West Ham. Yeah, well, he's a good manager, David Moyes. He seems to get the best out of uh, the players that he's got there at West Ham, and they're a good side, aren't they? A good footballing team as well. And they proved that last season with a with a you know winning a European trophy as well. And, I think they've they've improved, you know, in the league as well, haven't they? The last couple of seasons, they've they've really sort of gone into that top half of the table. And I think that's what they'll be looking for again this season. And obviously, if you're a West Ham supporter, you want them to do well in the league. But you know, they're probably dreaming of cups as well, aren't they? And I think a good cup run, FA Cup, League Cup, that's got to be something they've got to target. You know, I, I don't think they're going to be winning the Premiership, but a top half finish and maybe a domestic trophy, it'd, it'd be a great season for them, wouldn't it? So um, I'm, I'm sure they're going to have another good season. Yeah, baptism of fire for Luton Town. They were defeated 4-1 away at Brighton Hove Albion. It's going to be a tough season for the Hatters, but hopefully they'll they'll get some wins and compete. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for them. I know they had problems with the, the stadium didn't they, and things like that. I'm not too sure how that's going at the moment, but they're, they're probably a club that's, I would say they're probably the smallest budget you know, one of the smallest budgets ever in the Premier League, haven't they? And, um, you know, for size of ground and, and size of club and that, they're not very big at all, really. But that's the beauty of football. Everybody has a chance, don't they? And it's not like rugby league where we sort of slag teams off because they're smaller and this, that and the other. I think football, you've earned the right to play in the Premier League and, you know, good luck to them. It's a, it's a tough start for them, but I'm sure they'll adapt to it. They're going to be difficult to beat at Canelworth Road, aren't they, when they get down there? And it just depends how many re- results they can get and how many points they can get in the bag. I think... The, the backs are going to be against the wall, aren't they? It's going to be a tough season for them. And if you was a betting man, you'd have them marked down to finish bottom. But I'm sure they've got um, a lot of fighting spirit in their team. And, you know, you never know. You never know. They could get some results and, and pull away from it. They've got to work very, very hard, though, and, um, and do their best to get some, some wins. Yeah. Everton started their Premier League season with defeat at home to Fulham. Obviously, Sean Dyche coming into West uh, coming into Everton last season saved him from relegation, uh, but unfortunately wasted a hat full of chances this week and went down to defeat to Fulham. Fulham are a good side. Uh, De Silva in charge there. You know he knows how to play football, uh, and it's probably one uh, game that slipped away uh, from Dyche and his Blue Men. Yeah, you'd expect them to be better this season, wouldn't you? Know Sean Dice, experienced manager, you know, had a decade at Burnley where he did wonderful things, didn't he? There, and you know, you'd expect him now at Everton, you know, perhaps a, a bit more money to spend than what he had at Burnley, and you know, uh, bigger crowds and things like that. They're moving to a new stadium soon as well, so they, there should be a lot of um, excitement around Everton. So that's a setback losing to Fulham, but I think that for me sort of says how well Fulham have progressed as a club over the last sort of twenty years. I mean, they've come from the 
the, the fourth division, haven't they, up up through the ranks, have established themselves as a Premier League side and you know, a good Premier League side as well, a side that plays the football the right way and you know, they had a good year last year, didn't they? You know, I think I think they finished in the top half, Fulham, didn't they? So you won't back against them doing the same again this season. They, they play football the right way and they've got some very, very talented players. Yeah. Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace started their Premier League season with a win away at Sheffield United. Wilfred Zaha has departed Crystal Palace in the summer, one of their main players. Uh, so to get a start in the Premier League with a win uh, will only help confidence going forward for Roy Hodgson's men. Yeah, tough game as well. Got a Bramall Lane against Sheffield United. They've just come up to the Premier League, probably had 30,000. Yorkshireman behind them there and expected to, to, to beat Palace really you would have thought it wasn't wasn't the, the hardest sort of game was it that's a game you'd expect to get a result from but you know Palace are a good side on Roy Hodgson they, they did well last season when, when Roy came back and, and that's that's a good three points on the road that against a newly promoted side with all the you know, you know all that behind them and all that emotion behind them to go there and take the sting out of it and get a result is, is a good start for Palace yeah Biggest win of the Premier League season uh, in the first weekend of the Premier League season was Newcastle United. They beat Aston Villa 5-1. Two goals from Isak. um, Put the Geordies in dreamland. Uh, Wilson also got on the score sheet uh, for them. Uh, I'm sure, obviously, there's a lot of games to go. There's a lot of water and a lot of bridges, uh, but they'll have been excited about the result. Yeah, well, that that start really did... um... You know, make people sit up and have a look at Newcastle because Aston Villa are no mugs. They're a decent team and had a good year last year. But Newcastle, I saw a bit of that game on Saturday evening and they impressed me. They impressed me the whole package, really. You know, the, the crowd, the stadium, the, the brand of football, the atmosphere. It all screamed out to me, you know, I'm not going to say title challengers, but they, they could be. They could be the team that, that gets up there because they've got that momentum behind them now and that, and that feel-good factor. And that can take you a long way sometimes. So they did really well last year, didn't they? And uh, if they can kick on this season, they could be the team. Where they play some really good football. It's whether they can do it consistently. But 5-1 is, is a real good start and that's going to give them a real massive confidence boost. Yeah, obviously Aston Villa have invested heavily in the off-season. Uh, Tyron Mings went off with a knee injury, one of their main players, which is going to sort of disrupt them. Uh, but I, I don't think you can look at that particular game and be particularly worried. I think there's enough in that Aston Villa team uh, to make them compete uh, for a Europa place, let's say. Yeah, I think they've got a good, a decent team. Like you said, they've recruited really well there. But I think like Newcastle a lot of credit there. They're a good team and they're a team that's, um, you know, probably underachieved for a long time really now, haven't they? And they they've got to be excitement up there on time side. But I think Aston Villa will be OK. You know, um, there's plenty of, um, you know, results they can get this season. So I think they'll, I think they'll be all right. I think they'll be mid-table again. Yep. Tottenham Hotspur started their Premier League season without Harry Kane. He was uh, transferred to Bayern Munich, which we'll come on to shortly. They started their season with a 2-2 draw away at Brentford. Um, obviously, Brentford is a tough place to go. And then Man United went there early uh, last season and demolished 4-0 uh, in a proper uh, nightmarish game for David Ayer and Harry uh, Maguire. So, all in all, 2-2 away at Brentford is probably a good result for the new Tottenham Hotspur coach. Yeah, and especially losing Harry Kane you know, the day before. I think it was like sort of Friday night, Saturday morning, he, he departed to, to Bayern Munich, which is a strange situation really when you're selling a player on the eve of the season. 
you know, um, it was a strange time for him to, to depart. But no, Brentford, another tough side, another London derby, and you know that, like I said, there's there's a lot of teams in around that that sort of area now. You Fulham, Brentford, you know, the the good sides, aren't they? So they, they're not the sort of rubbing rags that they used to be. I know I can remember Brentford when they were in you know the lower leagues, the third, fourth division, but now they're a decent Premier League side, aren't they? Who play football the right way and they're not easy beats at all they're no pushovers Crystal Palace is another one we've just mentioned so you know Tottenham and Tottenham and Arsenal are not the top dogs in London anymore Tottenham Arsenal Chelsea are they really so you've got these other clubs that are you know are challenging now the likes of Fulham as well so um, so yeah it's going to be interesting this season yeah, no Ivan Tony for Brentford uh, because obviously he got banned for eight months months for breaking Football Association betting rules. But Mbembo and Wissa stepped in his place and caused Spurs danger all afternoon. And I suppose it's gonna it's gonna be a big gap to fill. Uh, but these two lads seem to be able to link up well, which is only going to be good um, for Brentford. Yeah, that's right. I mean. I don't really know a lot about the Tony situation. I know I read it in the papers and what it just seemed a very strange one to me. But uh, yeah, he's he's a good player, isn't he? He scores plenty of goals, and you need somebody to replace him now. And the two lads you've mentioned there, you know, they look like they've got they've got the skills to, to do that. So you know, Brentford could be another another side that do well this season. I mean, I'm sure they're aiming high. I'm sure all these sides are aiming high, and obviously there's going to be three teams that finish down at the bottom of the table, but. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all pans out because I think you've got some teams in that Premiership that, are, you know, you, you could throw a blanket over them. Really, you know, they, mm. they, they're all pretty much a similar ability, aren't they? So you, it's very, very hard to predict, especially this early in the season. So uh, I think there'll be a lot of twists and turns as the season goes on. Yeah, Chelsea and Liverpool, the big game of the day on Sunday. They played out one-one draw at Stamford, uh, Stamford Bridge. Um, obviously, probably helped both sides because getting beat against one of your main rivals is always a psychological blow. Yeah, that's right. And, the, and these two sides are always a lot of expected from them, aren't they? Especially Liverpool. Um, you know, win the Premier League a few years ago and they've not really hit those heights since, have they? So, they'll be expected to, to do well again. I think last season they were a bit disappointing, weren't they, in the Premier League? Chelsea as well. have had a couple of barren seasons, haven't they? So, uh, they'll be looking to get back up there. So, yeah, probably a 1-1 draw. I think that game had draw written all over it, really, didn't it? So, uh, you know, two sides that probably a bit cagey early doors. Didn't want to lose the game. So, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think as a, as a betting man, I think you would have gone for a draw on that one. Yeah, and talking about Chelsea and Liverpool, they're fighting over Brighton midfielder Moses Cancelo. Liverpool agreed a British transfer record of £110 for him, but um, Cancelo prefers to go to Chelsea. So what do you think of that? Obviously, Liverpool have have obviously told Brighton, they've discussed it and decided to sell to to Liverpool, uh, but the player wants to go to Chelsea. So the negotiations have to start again. Yeah, it sounds like he doesn't fancy a trip up north from what, what I've read. He doesn't fancy going to Liverpool. So you don't know how that works. I don't know his personal business. I don't know if he's got family and things like that. And, you know, Chelsea's a lot closer to, to Brighton than, than Liverpool as it's a, it's a big move, I suppose, up north, isn't it? So uh, it's not that far, is it? But you know what football players are like. They, mm. Oh, you know, sports people are like, you've got lives as well, haven't you? So. Um, if you've got kids in school or family or whatever, it's it's a big move sometimes, isn't it? And I don't know, the footballers seem to call the shots these days, don't they? So there's an awful lot of money on the table from Liverpool, but 
Sounds like he doesn't fancy it. So, uh, so yeah, negotiations start all over again. Yeah. And obviously, 110 million for Moses Cancelo. I mean, football transfers have gone to a whole new level, aren't they, Paul, at the moment? And I can't get my head around it, really. I mean, wow, what what a money. There's countries in the world that pay less for arm, for the, to arm their army than 110 million for one player. I've said it before, we've still got people living on the streets in this country. Yeah. And, yet, and, and yet, people are going for 100 million at football. So, eating people are living in poverty and things like that so it does it it, it baffles you sometimes isn't it? the money that's in sport and not just sport but sort of entertainment and you know films and television and things like that what people get paid it's, it's unbelievable isn't it but you know people like us we, we've got no say in that really have we we just sort of report on it don't we but it does seem an awful lot of money sometimes yeah Talk about the other big transfers, Harry Kane to Bayern Munich, four-year deal, uh, 100 million euros, which is uh, equivalent to 86.4 million pounds. He scored 280 goals in 435 appearances uh, for Spurs. Um, Tottenham, like I said, we you know drawing in the first game of the season. Um, good move for him or not? Uh, and what do Spurs do now? Um, well, how long have they got left before the, the transfer window? Uh, end of the month. They've got the end of the month. Mm. Well, it's difficult because what you don't want to do now is panic buy dear and just buy somebody for the sake of buying them. Um, you know, who's going to be available now? I mean, the Harry Kane situation, I thought Harry Kane, an obvious move for him would have been probably to Manchester United um, or, or Manchester City. I think they were talking about him at, at one stage, but I thought Manchester United was the was the, the direct route for him where he would have gone to go to Bayern Munich I mean I don't know has he made the right decision there I mean is the Bundesliga as good as the Premier League I don't think so um, I don't know it just seems a real strange move to me I think somebody like Harry Kane going to Manchester United he could be the spark that a club like United need you know to, to progress them and to take them on to winning trophies again but he's decided to go that way and I don't know. It just seemed a real strange transfer. And it just seemed strange the way it was done the night before the season started as well. So you've sold your best striker and left yourself a bit of a hole in your team. So Spurs have got to be very, very careful now about how they recruit. And their supporters are going to be you know, hanging on every word that the chairman says now because they'll want somebody in to replace him. And is there going to be anybody available? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. Obviously, Man United are on the verge of selling Fred um, to Fenerbahce, Fred's had a lot of uh, sort of uh, criticisms through his years at Manchester United, uh, but you've got to respect him for what he is—an international Brazilian uh, midfielder. Uh, didn't quite set the world on fire at Manchester United, uh, but we wish him well on his way to Turkey. That's what, yeah, he could, that could be the move he needs. I mean, it could be a totally different league over in Turkey, a totally different tempo. Um, it might suit him better as a player. It, it probably suit Manchester United. You know him going. You know you get transfer fee for him and, and things like that. Sports a business, isn't it? So they might better use that money to to bring somebody else in. I know um, we've just mentioned there Harry Maguire's supposedly going. Is he? Is he not been in the squad for this weekend, Harry Maguire? Or well, is he, def- is he definitely going? Cause well, I thought, it's, I thought it's he strong rumor that he's yeah. off. But I suppose with United, it's all about, it's not about getting, well, if you get rid of players, you've got to bring them in. 
as well. And he, Ten Hag won't want to have a shallow squad, with, uh, especially with the Champions League this season. You get games coming thick and fast, don't you, over the Christmas period. So you need as many bodies as you can. Yeah, and one I was surprised to hear about was Johnny Evans. Um, I know the United have took Johnny Evans back, haven't they? I thought it was for like a trial, but uh, for a month or two. But it looks like he's back there now. So you know that you're getting rid of one player, Harry Maguire, and bringing you know a 36 year old back. So who who Leicester didn't want. So that just seemed a strange bit of business to me. Mm. So obviously we've only got a few sort of weeks to go in the transfer market, and you know people coming and going and inflated prices you just wonder how long uh, the the bubble of football can continue before it bursts yeah yeah it does I mean there just seems to be an awful lot of cash that floats around in football doesn't there so I don't know how long that'll last for but uh, but no the, the transfer window will be interesting now it'll be interesting to see if anybody else comes in it particularly our local teams anyway and if United bring anybody else in if Harry Kane gets replaced at Tottenham it, it could be a scramble it could be a scramble come the end of the month it normally is isn't it on the on deadline day and you know people in car parks and, <laughs> and, and managers and, and what have you on the mobile phones and what have you so it should be interesting to see you know players getting spotted at airports and all sorts of rumours tend to fly around travelling is waiting for the nod to go and do the the, uh, <laughs> the fitness uh, trial to make sure they get the contract signed so much goes on in a in a, in the world of, of transfers in football it certainly does it certainly does it's a bit of a minefield isn't it at times but no it'll be exciting to see how it all pans out yeah let's move on to ladies world cup England uh, were in action they beat Colombia 2-1 uh, to set up a semi-final against Australia on Wednesday. Um, it was a good game. Obviously, Colombia, typical South American team, rough, kicked England's ladies all over the field. But England rose above it and won the game 2-1. Yeah, a good win. I, I caught a bit of the game um, the other day, um, the, the, the quarter-final game. And that was a tough game, wasn't it? Going to extra time. Um, so, yeah, this was this was another tough one. And, and they've got through it. So Australia now will be a, another massive test. But this tournament seems like it's gone on for, for ages. I remember when it first started. And um, how long does it, does it go? Is it like a month or two? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does seem like it's been going on for a long time now. But uh, but no, it's been exciting. It's been good to see. And the Australia game is going to be another, another excellent match, I would have thought. And, um, you know, they're going to be a tough team to beat, aren't they? Yeah. Laura Hemp with the equaliser for England and Elisa Russo with a winner. Um, England have been in two, sorry, three World Cup semi-finals. This will be the third one against Australia. They lost in 2019 in the USA and 2015 in Japan. So hopefully third time lucky for the ladies. Yeah, but they've made a lot of progress, haven't they, since then? You know, winning the, the Euros and there's a lot of confidence in that team as well now, isn't they? they seem to be riding a bit of a crest of a wave. So, it's going to be a tough game. There's no doubt about that against Australia. You know, you play Australia any sort of sport, the the winners aren't. It's a winning mentality. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, third time lucky. Let's hope so anyway. Let's hope they, they get the better and, and get to that final. And then, then it's anybody's game then. But this, this semi-final looks a real, real tough game on paper. Yeah going to be super exciting um, talking about our local football Salford City were in action uh, and drew 1-1 at home to Crawley um, obviously early season you want to make the 
the home of Salford City FC, a fortress and a 1-1 a home draw isn't particularly that. No, but they got a good result on the opening day of the season, so they've, they've got four points from two games, haven't they? So hmm. it's, a, it's a solid start to the season That in what is a very, very tough league. We've spoke about that a few times, haven't we? You know, last year it was difficult. You know, Stockport County were in there as well. They were a good side. And the couple of teams that have been promoted, Wrexham and Notts County, have, have got plenty of money behind them as well. So that's going to be a mega hard league to get out of that. So to start the season... You know, with a, a win and a draw, I think it's a, a pretty solid start, really, for Salford. They had a good win. I think they won in the League Cup as well, didn't they? So, uh, or did they? Am I right there? Yeah, they that? did. I'm sure they won yeah. in the League Cup. So, so yeah, they've had a positive start, really, and gained a bit of momentum and a bit of confidence. So, yeah, you want to win your own games, don't you? But I don't think Crawley are a bad side. They're pretty solid last season. So, uh, so yeah, I think they, they made a positive start. Yeah, Grimsby away uh, this week for the Amis. Uh, that'll be difficult. Yeah, that'd be a tough place to go. You know, Grimsby have come back into the league, haven't they, the last few years after uh, spending some time in the, in the National League and the Conference League. So that's always a difficult place to go. They get decent crowds. You know, it's a bit of a partisan atmosphere there at Blundell Park. And, you know, um, it's, it's a tough place to go. So, so yeah, they'll have to be switched on to get, to get a result there. Yeah, like we said, Man City are in Super Cup action against... Uh... Seville, uh, and then they face Newcastle at home at weekend. You know, Newcastle flying high. It's going to be a you know a fascinating contest between them two teams. Well, yeah, you've got that Super Cup as a bit of a distraction, isn't it? So, um, and then Newcastle the, the weekend. That's going to be a tough game. They're going to be full of confidence after that five-one win over uh, Aston Villa. So, and they like to play football as well, don't they? They've not got a particularly good record at um, at Manchester City, but. I think it'd be a good game to watch that. There should be goals in that game. And this will be a benchmark for, for Newcastle to see how far they've come. You know, if they can get a result from that game, then that their, their, their confidence will be absolutely soaring through the roof. So that promises to be probably the game of the weekend, I would have thought. Mm. Manchester United played Wolverhampton Wanderers on Monday, but we record this on Sunday, so we don't know the, the result of that one. But they do play Spurs uh, the following weekend. Um, obviously, Spurs are a top team, new coach. They want to make an impression there. They will. They will. It's a test for, for Manchester United. That, like I said, we don't know how they've gone on against Wolves, so let's hope they've won that game. And and Spurs is another another tough test, but you know they need to get some results at the start of the season. You know, made some some decent signings, and uh, you know United. Have, you know, there's a bit of expectation there now this season to uh, to to be, to be up there challenging. So a good start is imperative, really. Yeah, so let's move on to the boxing uh, now, Paul. And Antia Joshua, he he was in action uh, this weekend and won uh, against Rob Helenus. Uh, talk us through it. Yeah, well, Helenus had fought the week before. He came in as a late replacement for Dylan White, who uh, had problems with um, he's a drugs test. I mean, I don't, I'm not I'm really going into detail because I'm not too sure what happened, but he's failed something and had to pull out the fight, so that got mm. cancelled. So, Elena's came in at a week's notice, and as I said, he fought last weekend, so he must be a pretty durable character to come in, uh, 39-year-old from Finland. So, he came in and gave a good account of himself in the, the early rounds. I mean, he, he established his jab and and the sort of jab Joshua was head off at times, but Anthony Joshua stepped on the gas, you know, uh, as the fight moved into the second half of the fight, and uh, and dropped him with it with the with the with the cracking punch. So uh, it was lights out really, and that was the end of Helenus. So uh, so uh, you know the, the the crowd sort of booed Anthony Joshua, and I think he was a bit miffed at the end of the fight. But 
I think he's a bit unfair, really. I mean, he, he beat his opponent and, and beat him well. So, uh, there's big things now for Joshua. You look at him now, he's 33 year old. He needs to get into these big fights now, really. And um, all right, I think he's a bit hard done to there, losing you know, Dylan White as an opponent so, so, so late on. Then to have to, to focus on another opponent who had nothing to lose, really. So, you know, credit to Lane as he came in a week's notice after fighting last week. I think, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. But Anthony Joshua got the win, which is the most important thing for him. And uh, now it's been very, very interesting to see his next opponent. Mm. First knockout for Anthony Joshua since December 2020. Um, is that strange for a boxer? Is Anthony Joshua not a knockout mer- merchant? Well, yeah, he was. And he seems to have changed his style. He's probably not fought much since then, to be honest with you. But uh, he had a couple of defeats as well, hasn't he? So, so yeah, I think he, he, he had to get back to, to that raw power, didn't he? You look at the signs of him. He's a big man, a big imposing man. And I think that's the way he needs to fight. You know, he needs to come out and, and, and really sort of pour it on his opponents. And, you know, that's that's the way he wants to fight. And, you know, you're looking at the, the fights that are lined up for him now. You've got Deontay Wilder, which would be a very, very tough test. Um, you know these guys are that big whoever lands first is going to cause the other one an awful lot of problems so that could be a fight that we see next hopefully you've got the Tyson Fury one that if it ever happens the Usyk fight if that ever happens so there's some massive fights out there for Joshua but he's heavyweight boxing these fights don't always tend to happen there's always some sort of politics that stand in the way isn't there but hopefully we'll we'll get to see them I think you know Tyson Fury is another guy that just seems to be wandering about at the moment and calling everybody out but but not getting anything made, so I think it frustrates the boxing public really. But Anthony Joshua, you know, I think I think he's still got fights left in him. A lot of people wrote him off, but you know, he's a big man, big powerful man, and if he clocks you, you know, you, you're going to sleep, aren't you? So I think he deserves a bit more respect than what people give him sometimes. But uh, you've got to earn that respect, haven't you? And I know he's said a few things recently, and you know, people haven't agreed with. But I think if he lets his boxing do the talking, he'll uh, he'll be okay. Which one would you like to see? Um, I think the Deontay Wilder fight's got a lot in it, but you know, as a boxing purist, I'd like to see him fight Tyson Fury. I think mm. you, you you've got two Brit. Everybody loves a domestic dust up, don't they? You've got two British men. It captures the public's imagination. You'll have people who who in the British public who follow Joshua and people who follow Fury, and you've got all that people talking about that, the different styles and how that would go. I think that'd be a great fight. You know, you have that at Wembley or a big massive stadium somewhere in the country. You know, it's it, people love to see that, don't they? We, we want to see big sporting occasions, big sporting events in Great Britain. I think that'd be the, the, the one for me, really. Deontay Wilder one, yeah. I mean, Deontay Wilder's a good fighter, but would he come over to Britain and fight Joshua? Would he want it over there in America? I think for me, the, the Fury one is, it, it's the one that gets everybody talking, not just the boxing supporters, you know, just the general public who who, who are not really into boxing. They'll watch that, won't they? Yeah. It's one of those fights that everybody stays up for and everybody talks about. So uh, so I, I love stuff like that. So let's hope we see that one. But I doubt we will. But let's oh. hope we do. Well, why, why don't you think it'll happen? Because obviously I'm a I'm a outside the, the bubble of boxing, but Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, two sort of the biggest boxers well British boxers going against each other like you say would be an unbelievable thing maybe at Wembley or at Old Trafford or something it would be like fairy tale stuff and I can't understand why Andy Joshua and Tyson Fury can't just ring each other and say well just let, let's do it why is there so much conflict between the two why does this never get never get done well you're absolutely spot on um, I, you, you, that's how I think of it 
You've got two boxes there. I don't know why they can't just go on the phone to each other and say, let's go and have a coffee. Yeah. Let's we'll take our representatives. Let's get a date. Let's sort it out. There just seems to be so much in boxing, so much politics involved with it. And I don't know why, but it just seems to take ages to make fights. It's like Fury. He calls everybody out. Well, just, just sort it then. I mean, what are you doing all day? You're not doing a 10-hour job like I'm doing, mending boilers all day, so you've not got time to get on the phone to people. You must have time in your day to sort things out or get your representatives to sort things out. It just never seems to happen. Mm. They say, oh, we've been in talks for so many days. Well, what are you talking about? All you've got to do is say, right, I want to fight him. We're going to have it there. I'll have 50% of the what's it. You have 50% of it. Job done. So what is the what is there to talk about? It, it really baffles me sometimes, but... Because you look at Fury, I mean, he's always on the, the internet calling people out, but the fights never get made. So why mm-hmm. don't they get made? It's a million-dollar question. I don't understand it. I mean, heavyweight boxing seems to be so difficult to organise fights. It really does. I mean, you look down the other divisions and, you know, things seem to happen, but heavyweight boxing for me has been a big letdown over the last few years. Fights haven't been made. Fights have been made and they've been called off, like the Dillian White one pulling out. You know, you've got to feel sorry for the supporters. I think me and James touched on this last week where, you know, boxing supporters will buy tickets, they'll buy hotels and you book your night and you're really looking forward to it. And then all of a sudden somebody's pulled out a week before and that seems to happen an awful lot in boxing, a lot more than it used to do. Yeah. Is it ego? Maybe. Obviously, both fighters want to be seen as the top boy and obviously you think 50-50 means both fighters will get equal billing, but Tyson Fury being the world champion, um, anti-Joshua not being a world champion, maybe Tyson Fury wants to be seen as being higher up the pecking order and anti-Joshua isn't happy about that. I think it's all down to money, Rob. I, yeah. think, I think sport is all down to money. I mean, I can only speak as, as my own mind. So if that was me, you know, you're probably very comfortable anyway. You know, Joshua, if you were, they, they, they've not got to work again, have they in their lives, they've probably mm. got enough money to, to survive on. So if that was me, I don't think I'd be bothered about the money. I'd be more bothered about the glory, the glory and the legacy of, of winning fights. I mean, at the end of your career, supporters and people don't look back at a boxer's career and go, how much he's got in his bank account. Mm. They look at, you know, what he's won and, and what his legacy was. So, yeah, if I was Tyson Fury or, or Joshua, I'd, you know, I'd say, just give me 20% and I'm not bothered, I'm going to beat you. I'm going, to win, I'm going to win the fight and, and then I'll get the glory from that. But sadly, sport doesn't seem to work like that, does it? You know, it all seems to be about money these days. And in a way, it's a sad thing that I think, you know, it shouldn't really be about the, the glory and just putting things together. Because if you go back sort of 40, 50, 60 years, you know, we had some great fighters, didn't we? You know, up and down the world, really, you know, the, the alleys and things like that. Were those fights easier to make than they are now? They seem to be, I don't know, if you look down history, a lot more fights seem to go ahead then. But like now, they just seem so difficult to make. Yeah, well, I think when you're talking about George Foreman, Muhammad Ali, you know, Rumble in the Jungle and all them fights, they were like historic. The whole world seemed to stop then. And it's, I feel this, uh, you know, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua fight will be that kind of sort of build. And it'd be, it would be amazing if it got sorted. Um, but like you said, it, a lot of people like yourself who were, who were boxing experts, every time we mention it, they all, like yourself, just then think, well, I don't think it'll happen, which is a bit disappointing for someone like me who sort of jumps in and out of the boxing scene when there's something big happening. 
Yeah, it is disappointing. And sometimes you think, is it the fighters? Are they frightened of losing? Is yeah. Tyson Fury fighting to losing? Does he want to keep that NO record? I think now in boxing, that seems so important to boxers. Whereas years ago, you know, you look down the records of people like Ali and Joe Frazier and, you know, people like that. And, and they, they had defeats on the record, Marvin Agler and people like that. They had, they had defeats because they all fought each other, didn't they? You know, Tommy Earns, they all got in and fought each other and knocked the... They were great <laughs> fights, weren't they? They were, they were yeah. brilliant fights and, and they what people wanted to see. Whereas now it always seems, oh, I don't want to lose me, 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 me zero. I don't want to get beat. And I'm not saying Tyson Fury's... Um, avoiding people but you just think with a fighter like him what he's done so far you think he'd jump at the chance and want to fight them all before he gets too old you think he'd be lining them all up saying right I'll have him next I'll have him next because that's how how it works in your head doesn't it you know as a kid you're growing up watching sport you're like oh I'd dream to be Mike Tyson or whatever and I'll fight him next and I'll fight him but it, it doesn't seem to work like that. it's a sad thing really but I think as I mentioned before I think money has a lot to do with things now in all sports, doesn't it? He seems to... Because there's not just Tyson Fury involved. There's not just Anthony Joshua. There's loads and loads of people involved in how, mm. how these, these deals are made. It's It must be so complicated. Yeah. So that's all the boxing chat. Uh, and now we'll move on to Rugby League. And it was Challenge Cup this weekend uh, for Paul. Challenge Cup final weekend and victory for Lee Leopards. They beat Hulking to Rovers 17 points to 16 at Wembley. A Lachlan Lamb drop goal did it for the Leopards. Fantastic occasion for the sport and drama to the very end. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's been a fantastic tournament this this year, the Challenge Cup. I mean, the BBC have been really lucky to to get the games that they've got. I mean, the two semi-finals were epic, both fantastic matches. One went to extra time, the other one was a nail-biting kick off the touchline at the end. Um, then you, you've got that Challenge Cup final going to extra time, which I thought was a fantastic match. You know, two sides that, you know, you could have put a cigarette paper between them, really. There was, there was very, very close... Um, yeah, and a great game, and, and great for Lee to, to win it. I mean, Hawkins and Rovers, I don't know, I don't think he's chucked it away, but not making touch in from that penalty probably cost them dearly, really, because if they'd have made touch, they'd been down the other end and probably dropped a goal themselves. You know, Schneider fails to make touch, and, and then Lee go down and drop the goal. So, you know, extra time now in rugby league is, is just like a, a sort of a, a playoff of drop goals, really, isn't it? And, and who cracks first? But, but a great occasion, great for, for, for Lee, a team that's not won the, the Cup for 50, 52 years, 71, 52 years. So, so yeah, good for them, great for the town as well. And, um, and yeah, it was a great game. And they've been a great story this season, Lee. I think they've done done really well. You know, they, they've spent some money, they've got some some big signings in that, that team, but they've, they seem to have gelled well and, and found the, the, the winning touch. I mean, they won last weekend against Leeds in the league, which I thought was a great win for them. You know, the week before the cup final to go and win it headingly, I thought it was showed their character and um, showed the team that they've got there. So I, I was very pleased for them. I thought it was a good win. Yeah, uh, Derek Bromont, the uh, the owner of Lee Centurions, uh, changed the name to the Leopards, didn't he? This season, his rebrand pays off with a Challenge Cup win. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people sort of um, scoffed at the idea. I remember Salford played him first game of the season. And, you know, there's a lot of Lee supporters I spoke to that night were a bit unsure about the the rebranding and you know the traditionalists didn't seem to like it. But you know I enjoyed the atmosphere when we played them and then we played them again at Easter and they've really built something special there at the Lee Sports Village. They've got the the town behind them now and uh, they are challenging in the Super League as well. They, you know the top of the table, um, doing really well and got a great chance of making the playoffs. 
and making the mark on that as well. So they've had a great year. I think the the you I mean the branding on that is not really something I look at. I mean, at the end of the day, it's Lee. I suppose it's it'll always be Lee, but whatever you want to call them, the Lepers, the Lions, the Cheaters, whatever you want to call them, it's, <laughs> I, I, that's up to them. But you know, it seemed to. He seems to have captured people's imagination. Kids seem to like it. They've, they've sold a lot of tickets. They've been getting good crowds. They've been getting good entertainment on. They've had loads of music on. And they made it a real event. So I think that's that's a good thing. That's what you want. And I think this momentum now, hopefully, you know, this momentum of getting to a cup final will will really inject that town and boost their crowds even more. And if they can get sellout crowds every week of 10,000, that would be fantastic for the sport. So so good luck to them. I hope they do. I hope they really kick on from this now. And, you know, as long as they don't play well when Salford play, I'm, I'm not bothered. But, you know, other than that, you know, good luck to them. I think they're, they're a rugby league town and, and a place that's, that's vital to rugby league. They produce so many players there and I think it's good for the sport. Yeah, so hard on all Kingston Rovers. Obviously, yeah. drop goal in Golden Point, extra time. You know, where they, they heard that before down there in Hull. It, you know, what a nightmare for the fans. But I suppose, as a Rovers fan, you probably are thinking, you know, we reached the Challenge Cup final um, and we didn't quite win. But we learned from the experience. And if the opportunity comes again, hopefully we'll, we'll win it this time. Yeah, well, they beat Wigan with a golden point, didn't they, in the, the semi-final? So mm. we thought they'd go over that then. But uh, but yeah, like I said, that that kicking for touch that didn't make that penalty kick for touch that didn't make touch. I think that cost them dear. That I mean, not many people really said much about that after after the game because you're all focusing on the the Lachlan Lamb. But I'm sure Willie Peters, the coach, will be uh, be miffed about that. But. It's one of them things, it's the heat of the moment and, and they played really well in the game. There's nothing between the two sides, really. I thought it was a really close game and you knew it was going to be, you know, two sides that have played really well this season. I think Hull Kepp have dropped off a bit actually the last few weeks, whereas Lee have kept going, haven't they gone from strength to strength. Um, they rested a load of players, didn't they, for the Wigan game and Lee didn't. They just, they just carried on. I think, you know, credit to them. But no, I think both sides have, have done well. And Hawkins Row is another team that have, have, have built well the last couple of seasons. You know, they went down, didn't they, when Salford beat them in the million-pound game. But since then, coming back, the, the crowds have grown. They've uh, they've got a, a decent side there as well. And, um, you, you know, they're generating income at the, at the ground. When we've been there, it's been an exciting day. So, they're a club that are on the up. So, I'm sure they'll be back for more. You know, it's been a long time since they've won a trophy. And I'm sure they'll be hungry for more success. Yeah, it's ladies Challenge Cup final as well. St. Helens beat Leeds 22 points to eight. First ever uh, Challenge Cup final at Wembley for the ladies. 8,000 crowd. Uh, three, third consecutive win uh, for St. Helens. It shows how uh, much the ladies' game has grown. Yeah, I saw that game on, uh, on, on Saturday early afternoon and no, I was very, very impressed. Very impressed with both sides, really. And you know, St. Helens have got a fantastic pack of forwards, and uh, they really took it to them. Had a great start to the game, you know, going 16, 16 nil up. But credit to Leeds, they came back, and I think it was Beavers. The try, Caitlin Beavers scored a fantastic try, um, just going through, picked the ball up near her own post, and showed great pace. And that got Leeds back in the game. But Saints just had too much, really, in the end. But it was a good game, really good standard, and. Um, very exciting to watch as well but credit St Helens they seem to be the team to beat in the ladies rugby league at the moment yeah we spoke to Salford Red Devils assistant coach uh, Dawn Schofield as our ladies beat Bradford 30 points to 4 and this is what she had to say 
So I'm joined by Salford Devils lady assistant coach, Dawn Schofield. Congratulations on your win uh, last weekend against Bradford. Talk us through it. Hi Rob, yeah, thanks for the congratulations. Um, it was a really great performance. I felt that on the back of the 150th birthday celebrations that we really had to bring an occasion with us really and it was an opportunity to show the fans, whether it be Salford or Swinton, that actually we'd, we'd made some progress in this league and it was um, we really wanted to put on a great spectacle for the fans. So yeah, for me it was um, just a great kind of settling kind of game for us and I'd ask for, you know, for absolute dedication to the game and they absolutely brought that to me. So yeah, in terms of the game, the first try kind of came from some really specific game training. Been working really, really hard on some new moves and some processes and that and that came to fruition um, for our first try and it was really quite nice to see. Demi, great little kick ding through to uh, kind of our new winger, Holly, who then went over and scored. So that was fantastic for her and what, and what a game for her to score in. In terms of the second try, you know, great work from Louise meant that you know, Bradford were never really sure where we were going to come from next. Um, I think sometimes when you have two halves that were, were working and sewing collaborative with each other as they were on Sunday, that Bradford were a bit like, I'm not quite sure where we're attacking from next. So it was really, really good work from her to kind of keep the structures and the, and the talk up. So Bradford didn't really stand a chance of knowing what was coming next. Um, kind of aggression shown from come from the middle, but it just didn't allow any kind of territory I felt that the middles controlled them very very well I felt that we made Bradford work for every opportunity which is what I'd asked them to do I asked them to not show them any respect as an opposition and to arm wrestle them into our game plan rather than kind of adapting to theirs which so it was really really good to see that kind of middle ground battle that I've been looking far from the middles for a little while now. The second try, again, you know, Lauren Ellison showing great decision-making to send Steph over for a first of the game. Um, Lauren in particular has grown so much over the last few weeks and I felt that she had the confidence and the, the skill set to be able to make that right decision at that right time. Great comms from her edge there to, to get Steph over. So great assist from Lauren and a, a great try from Steph. Um, a third try, great work from Alex, Lou and Sage gave Steph a second. Um, what was really good is see Sage dropping into both edges. Um, and again, we've become like a bit of a two-edged team now, which is really, really a good attacking threat. Kind of the second half gave us an opportunity and he asked to go from, from good to great. I asked them to really begin to turn the screw. I asked them to really begin to just not allow them an inch and to um, keep, the defensive intensity where it was at and continue to play great rugby league. And I think that that second half really reflects that. So at half time, it was what, 14 nil. Um, and I asked for us to go further with that. Great, kind of a bubbly start to the second half. I felt, you know, we could have gathered more from their mistake at the beginning of the second half. They kicked out and we gained a penalty from that, but then made kind of three errors on the back of that. And I felt like, bit of adrenaline and a bit of nerves were kind of kicking in at that point and I think a few weeks ago we would have allowed that to run away with itself um, and begin to panic and actually they were able to compose themselves much faster and, and get themselves back into kind of our processing and what we we're looking for. And again, Lauren's perfect read of play and her inception was just enough to set us up for the victory then and I think settle the nerves a little bit. I think, again, you know, adrenaline was running and Lauren's just perfect read 
um, and, and her try just meant that, you know, we could settle down again and just move back into our processes. Um, obviously, it was frustrating for them to score um, a try as a coach. You want a nil, uh, but it is what it is. We had to give them something, um, and I felt like that's nothing that's not fixable. Um, and then the second try from Alex came after some great hic- uh, mo- uh, meters from our hickey. I felt that the middles carried brilliantly on Sunday. I felt that, you know, Lobby had been asking from the middles a bit of a buy-in this week and for them to be there for them, and she had, they absolutely showed up for the team on Sunday. I'm, I'm ever so proud of all of them, but um, ever so more so the middle so some great meters by Hickey um, and a great assist from Taz puts Alex over for a second and that kind of seals the deal for us and and you know we keep them out we don't allow them any more tries and I think more importantly we didn't lose our composure there was patches of kind of silly foolish conduct from from them at times and we didn't allow ourselves to get dragged into any of that and I just felt that it was kind of a pretty much a nearly a perfect performance a strong first half built pressure on Bradford, denying them field position and forcing errors. We converted the chances that came our way. You must have been pleased with that. Yeah, I felt that the first half in particular, we imprinted ourselves onto them. Um, I've talked a lot in pre-match games and, and kind of the video work that we do and in training leading up to games about strategy and tactics and actually to to win the the mind battle of who's going to imprint their game plan onto the opposition before they do and kind of taking that control of the game rather than reacting to what's being thrown at us so I felt that that's exactly what we did against Bradford in that first half in particular I felt that we just kept building and building and building and we made them work for everything we didn't give them any we didn't allow them any respect as an opposition we just kind of just kept defeating them and and winning every moment so we've talked about winning every rook we've talked about defensive intensity we've talked about winning the floor we've talked about being dominant in every tackle and that really came through in that game that they just didn't allow them to play you know they've got a really good halfback that just could not get her way through the markers at times because there's a little bit of intensity around actually we're not going to allow you to come to us and, and to play I think the game last time we've shown them a little bit too respect, much respect and in fact this time we took control of that game from the outset which was really really good to see yeah and then kind of forcing the errors on them by being so intense meant that we had more possession we, we worked really hard to increase our completion so it was kind of a bit of a twofold we'd increased our completion when we had ball in hand and, and encouraged them to make mistakes when they had ball in hand so therefore we were able to create more opportunities and it just became like a, a spiral for Bradford that they, they seemed to struggle to get out of Bracket Bradford came back into it a little bit in the second half but our defensive effort was fantastic all in limiting them to four points you must have been pleased with that. Yeah, them scoring four points was frustrating for me as a coach as I um, would, would have loved a nil score there. But uh, we've asked them a lot for in defence and training over the last few weeks. We have focused a lot on being intense defensively and kind of being a bit more tactical and strategic about what that looks like and, and really working hard with the players to, to take utter control of every single aspect of that collision from the point that they make contact. And I think you actually saw that. You saw better rook control. You saw better work from markers. You saw better line defence. And yeah, although them scoring was frustrating, um, it, it is what it is and it gives us something to work work towards. And That was Dawn Schofield talking about at Solf- Red Devils ladies latest victory um, it's been a real fairy tale going from promotion to Super League and now they're making waves in Super League 2 
Yeah, that's right. They, they are doing, yeah, they had a good couple of results last few weeks and uh, there's still an awful lot of uh, games to go this season, an awful lot of rugby league to be played. So, um, I think they can still do a lot more this season, do a lot more damage this season. So, so yeah, I think the, the, the victories in the last couple of weeks have, have really given the ladies a lot of confidence, you know, after a bit of a bit of a struggling run, but they, they've come through that and um, showed a lot of character coming through that. So, at the back end of the season, now they can really shine. Yeah. Paul Rowley's men are in action this Friday. They travel to Huddersfield uh, off a run of defeats. Paul Rowley's men really need to find a way to win to get back in that chase for a playoff place. Yeah, they do well. Huddersfield were beaten at St. Helens on Sunday, so they played the extra uh, game in hand, didn't they, against St. Helens? So Saints have climbed right back into the, the top three now, haven't they? But Huddersfield, they stay behind Solver. I think they're two points behind. I think they've got 18 points. So this is a massive game now for both clubs. It's over to lose this. Huddersfield start creeping above us then, don't we? And we drop down even further. So we need to book that trend of defeats, really. And if we're to, to, to make the top six, this is a massive game for us to win. I think defeat here, it starts pulling us down the table, doesn't it? So it's a very, very pivotal game on, on Friday night at Huddersfield. It should be a tough game. It'll be an exciting one as well because, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's like a playoff for the playoffs at the moment. All these games playing teams around us, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, so big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat on your Salford City Radio. 